Middle-aged Metalheads presents Real Men of Metal Today we salute you, David D. Timoney The Skeptic Skeptic To punk rock for his own good Without you, we wouldn't realize that bands that made it big were just enormous loser sellouts. Whether it's Iron Maiden, Kiss, Anthrax, Metallica, Nirvana, pretty much anyone, we know they have sold their soul for rock and roll. Hey everybody, this is Janet Gardner, former lead singer of Vixen and now singer of Gardner James. And you are listening to Middle-Aged Metalheads, right on! Welcome to another exciting episode of Middle-Aged Metalheads. We are very, very excited tonight. We've got a special guest that I'll introduce in just a minute. But, you know, the, the, the reason we're together today is uh, we're going to talk about this, this series that's just about to come out, or has just come out, called I Want to Rock, the 80s Metal Dream, which is now showing on Paramount. There's three episodes exploring the world of 80s hair metal glam, featuring folks like Dee Snyder, John Krabi, Snake Sabo, Kip Gardner or Kip Winger, and tonight we've got Janet Gardner. This was directed by Tyler Meesom and produced by MTV Entertainment and Van Toffler of Gunpowder and Sky. And with us tonight, we've got Janet Gardner. And I'm going to kick it off over to Michael. Janet is best known as a former lead singer uh, and rhythm guitarist of Vixen, and uh, it's a shame it's an audio format because we're the Janet, I don't think you've aged at all. I'm going to pass this over to Michael to, to, to give us a little more background here. Again, hi, hi Janet. And again, we're really uh, grateful for you, uh, you know, sparing some time for our uh, for our humble little podcast here. Um, so we, we, we learn a lot about you and, and the other folks who are featured in the documentary. Um, and, and folks who haven't seen it just yet, and ho- hopefully people will uh, rush out and watch it on uh, Paramount Plus. Uh, but maybe you give us a little background in terms of like how how it is you came to gravitate towards Sunset Strip and uh, in, in LA in the in the early to mid uh, '80s, and become part of this band that uh, everybody knows and loves as Vixen. Well, it it kind of happened by accident actually i didn't mean to move to california i joined this group called the young americans which is in the documentary right and we ended in the la area it was actually in brea california so it's orange county but close and i just kind of hung out and started checking things out and eventually i you know i called home i said i'm not coming back this is great out here i'm loving it so um, just as, as time went on, I started joining different bands and some original bands. I played in some cover bands. Um, I was working at Guitar Center, so I met a lot of people that way. And that's how I got in a couple different bands I was in. 
And at one point, some girl came up to me. We were playing a show that I didn't want to play. It was far and it was a Monday night. It was like an audition night kind of thing. Yeah. And I really was dreading it. It was like, oh, we got to drive all that way and we got to play five sets and we're not getting paid much. I don't want to do it. Well, as it turns out, somebody saw me that hooked me up with Vixen. So, you know, it was one of those, didn't want to do it, but glad I did. And, and I think you, you, you mentioned in the documentary too, that uh, when you were propositioned in this way, you had no idea that you were being asked to join what would be an all girl rock band. No idea. I was totally expecting a bunch of dudes to show up because the manager, I had a couple of really great conversations with him and he's like, well, I'm gonna bring the band out to see you because I think they're gonna, you know, really like what you do. And I think you'd fit really great with this band. So I'm like, okay, I'll put you on the guest list plus four. So I'm looking around, you know, we took a break. I go up to the bar, I get a drink, water or something. <laughs> nice warm and A little more than water in there. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, I'm just sitting at the bar and he comes up and introduces himself because I hadn't seen him either. I had just spoken to him. so. Yeah, we're talking. I said, I thought you were going to bring the band. I don't I don't see anybody. And he goes, yeah, they're right here. And it was, you know, Jan and Lori was a bunch of girls. And I'm, oh, okay, now I get it. It's a girl band. All right. So, I, you know, I had no, I'd never been, I'd never worked with another girl in a rock band before. So I had no notion either way. I thought, well, hey, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So. They learned some of my songs. I learned some of their songs. And we got together and played. It worked out great. We just had such a great time and connected right away. There was like that sister bonding thing. And we were off and running. Yes. Yeah, so, so we just put, put a little sort of context. So this is like 83 or 82, 83 or so when you're starting to kind of meet and you yeah, know, rehearse. It, it, had, it was 83. Yeah, and at that okay. time, Jan was the only, you know, person that most people know um, as the original Dixon, but she was mm -hmm. she was the only one in it at the time. We got Roxy and Cher, you know, a couple years later. Okay, yeah, and the, the, of course, the, the, the ever-reliable uh, resource on the internet, Wikipedia, says that you, uh, you guys were featured as diaper rash <laughs> in sort of like... Uh, <laughs> Porky's-esque movie, Hard Bodies. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a classic. Yes. No, a very cult classic, but people still see it. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah, we, at the time, again, it was just me and Jan and, and you know, the girls that we had and before uh, Roxy and Cher joined. And we needed money. We wanted to make some new demos. We wanted to be able to not go on the road at the moment. And... Mm -hmm we needed some time and it bought us a few months time with yeah. the money we got from it. So yeah, I mean, it was cheesy, but it was fun and it was a learning experience. And we were young and stupid and just having a good time with the cast. So yeah, good stuff, funky, yeah. but, but good. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that in the theater. I think I was 12. <laughs> Perfect for a 12 year old, Michael. Perfect. I, I I was only 12 too. I don't know if you knew that. I mean, it hurt quickly. Makes makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Carl, do you want you want to follow up with the next question? Oh, I, I, well, I've got a lot of questions because <laughs> there's a whole bunch to find. I liked I liked the documentary. I will tell you, Janet, and thank you very much again for spending time with us. 
Uh, I had several different emotions as I watched it, and the first one was some some appreciation and nostalgia when we learned about Vixen, and, and later is a little melancholy because there's a couple things that, that tugged at my heartstrings, and then there's some excitement at the end. But when you look at Vixen, I did I learned a lot, and anytime I can learn, I, I feel really good. I learned that uh, Richard Marks had something to do with your major hit, which I, I did not know. And and that seemed to be after you were all put together as a band. That seemed to be the moment that things clicked, and you had something to, to really put as a band. You had something to. to there was a there was a substance there. Now, like we've got this this song. Um, tell me about that collaboration and looking for that that big major pop that that really put the band forward. Well, yeah, we had a really good album in the can, and the record company, for the most part, was was happy with what we had done. Um, there was talk before we were on the same label and had the same manager as Richard Marks, so of course you have a resource like that, a brilliant writer. Um, so we just took a shot at a collaboration that was like, oh, seems kind of weird, like you know, it's something completely out of left field for us and for him you know he has a style that boom i hear a song that he wrote and i know it's him every, almost every time and this was something different for him and for us so it was kind of just taking a shot at something that may or may not work and obviously it worked in a yeah, big way for sure so, you know i mean he's brilliant and he knew what we were about he had heard our demos. He, you know, he had heard a lot. We, we had met him a couple times at little barbecues and things like that. So we didn't know him well, but I think he knew us well enough to know kind of what we were about and what we needed. So yeah, it was kind of a weird thing that worked out great. Right. And, and once you broke, I, I, I like the videos in the documentary of you guys on MTV. A lot. The the. the camaraderie and friendship amongst you and your bandmates is clear i i think i've seen over the years i've seen some some videos and some things that you just kind of look and, and there's musicians but they're not necessarily a family you can tell the vixen was a family you can tell that all four of you were incredibly close yeah i mean we spent obviously a lot of time paying dues together people don't realize that but we did we played everywhere for nobody for no money in a van and a you know station wagon and you get close you know you go through things and we all had things that we were going through with people back home and things like that and we always really counted on each other for support emotionally mentally physically you name it you know you're you're out there and you're in the trenches so yeah we got close, very close. Yeah, and so, Janet, so what I know as a as a young musician, as a young musician at the time, uh, it seemed like Vixen was just shot out of a cannon in what seemed like instant success. And one of the things that I believe the documentary does really well is fill in some of what you were referring to—that backstory of what was happening uh, behind the when we feel like you just kind of appeared out of the right. What was it like to go from this young struggling band to suddenly be on tour with Ozzy and Kiss Bon Jovi? Well, like you said, it's not as overnight as it appears to be. So we were ready. We, we had been playing 
constantly for years together. Like, I joined the band in 1983 and we got signed in 1987. And during that four year period, yeah, we made some personnel changes and we were constantly writing and working. We spent a lot of time on the road. So we were fairly seasoned. It wasn't like, oh my God, we don't know how to play. <laughs> we don't know how to play as a band. We're, you know, for, for us, it was just, it, it was the next level. And yeah, it was amazing and it was kind of scary, but we didn't really have that much time to fret over it. It was like, okay, we're going from playing, you know, small theaters and clubby type things to arenas. But it was just felt, it felt very natural. It felt like a normal progression for us. Yeah, and it must have felt kind of, you know, a little strange too, because like within, you know, you know, the, the, the debut record breaks in 88 and within say five years or so, the scene that, that is so well documented in uh, I Wanna Rock is basically gone. It's it become something else. It's definitely not, you know, all the hair and the Aquanet and the, you know, uh, you know the, the makeup and spandex and stuff. So what, so what, what was that kind of like too within that, that really short window to just kind of like be in the hay and then be kind of out of work? Yeah, it was devastating as you can imagine. You know, you're you're on top of the world. We've made two albums. We were trying to figure out what to do next and everything was falling apart. We got dropped by our label, had fights with our manager. I mean, you name it, it was a mess. It was a horrible time. It was just hard to find anything positive to to hold on to. Yeah, yeah, and certainly a lot, a lot of bands who were your peers and colleagues at the time kind of expressed the same sort of like disappointment and disillusionment that just kind of like a whole scene just kind of disappears. And yet here, here we are 35 years later tuning in to like Hair Nation and still listening to all this great music. Um, you know, I think Colin has uh, another question he wants to kind of... Uh, well, you've, you've touched on the melancholy part I was talking about, right? The, the, there's some, there was some sadness when, Janet, when you were talking about things all of a sudden just stopping and disappearing. But there was another bit of, of, of not melancholy, I guess, but just a, a moment where I was kind of feeling a, a different emotion in the documentary because you were talking about how, the, how you being a woman in a male-dominated scenario kept being brought up. And I thought you did a great job, and I don't want to take all of the uh, the bang out of the documentary. We want people to watch it. You just, you just, you seem to kind of get my the feeling I got from you was we're a rock band. Stop telling us we're a female rock band. Just, just look at us as a rock band. And what were you using other? Like, what was your inspiration to 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 be like when you say I'm a rock band? What were you envisioning in your mind? You weren't certainly, I imagine, envisioning a female versus male rock band. You were envisioning a rock band. What were what were your driving forces behind the rock band image? Well, I mean, it, obviously, it just it boils down to the music and the creativity and being able to express yourself. And you got to be comfortable with the people you're with to do that. It's as simple as that. Is you know, making that musical connection with whoever you're playing the music with. You gotta be happy, you gotta be comfortable, you gotta have trust and respect for each other. Um, and all those boxes were checked for us. You know, we were all in it together and we all 
sort of had the same drive. We all knew what we had to do. We all worked really hard at our individual instruments. And, you know, we worked hard as a group. And so uh, the fact that we were women, men, whatever, I didn't care at all. You know, I think it worked to our advantage in a way and it was a disadvantage in a way. You put up some posters and voila, people show up. They think you're gonna be, gonna be crap, they think you're gonna be shit, and that they're gonna be able to laugh at you. But people showed up. So it was a good way to hook people in, but on the other side of it, it was hard for people to just sort of get past the novelty aspect of it. Right. You know, like, yeah. okay, we're a band like everybody else, we happen to be women, and yeah, it's kind of a good thing to hook people's interest, but it's also hard to get people to go, hey, it's real deal, they're the real deal. Were you role, were there any role models you used or bands you really inspired you that you were kind of trying to get that energy from or that you know that were very um that that they made an impression on you well of course there was you know if you're talking about females there was janice joplin and you know going back further there were women like aretha franklin and etta james that were strong and powerful and didn't take any shit from anybody <laughs> you know and those were all even though it was different styles of music that was all very inspiring to me as a young singer you know and then pat benatar came along the pretenders heart you know all of these bands that had a lot of female interest and some very strong female oomph to it all of that inspired me and then, of course, just regular bands. I remember when I heard, when I was growing up, I heard the first Boston album. I couldn't stop listening to it. I, I just listened to it over and over and over. And that's where a lot of, you know, the melodic rock stuff in me started to form. So it was, it was a lot of different factors, different bands, men, women, you name it. But it all kind of just went inside my soul and black would come out when I'd open my mouth to sing. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you, and you do name check bands uh, that, that some of our listeners might not have heard, like Bertha and Fanny, um, uh, in, in the documentary, which uh, again are you know kind of lost to time, and people should probably go back and check them out. Just it's kind of like you heard of Heart before, right? It's like yeah, it's like well, you should probably go back and look, look up some of these older uh, you know artists who may not have been as popular, but definitely. In your case, very, very influential. Well, you know who turned me on to those bands, actually, was Jan. Okay, all right. She so. she was the one that goes, you know, because I knew the Go-Go's, the Runaways, the Bangles. I knew some of those bands, but I didn't know about those. Bertha and Fanny in particular. Okay. And she had those albums, and she played them for me. And I was like, holy shit, they're great. Yeah. You know, yeah, they got so all the oomph that you know, male bands have, this is awesome shit. Why weren't they more popular? Yeah, no, and, and that's and that's the thing, maybe because we, we mentioned this sort of double standard or you, you mentioned this sort of like novelty sort of effect where it's like, yeah, it's a rock band, but it's a chick rock band. And that, that right. always seems a little derogatory, but if you just, if you're just listening to it with your, with your ears, it's like, yeah, like you said, it has the power and the oomph and, the like passion. Yeah, it is. They're letting it go. It's great. 
So it, it seemed like Jan had the vision, you know, based on your your, your what you just mentioned there, uh, of like forming what would be an all girl rock band. She did. Uh, it was her baby. Yeah, she started which, as an all female band right from the beginning. I don't think she ever played with a dude. Okay. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think she ever did. So she was fully committed to, you know, making a world-class all-female rock band. Yeah, and, and again, at a time too, where, you know, that, that was kind of anomaly. You know, there was uh, video Vixens, but not like an all-girl band named Vixen. <laughs> right. Uh, which, which is uh, pretty pretty cool. And and again, still, um, still kind of an anomaly these days. You don't, you know, the, don't find too many all-girl bands, uh, all-female bands, uh, part of the terminology. But uh, I think David no, but there's, has- uh, There's girls in mixed situations. Yeah, for, oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. And, and, and certainly we, we saw that throughout the throughout the 90s, whether it's yeah. Belly, Belly or the Breeders or Hole, you know, all the sort of alternative nation bands, you got a sort of mixed gender sort of setup in, 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 in so many bands, Pixies even. So, uh, David, go. Right. Yeah, uh, Janet, in the early 2000s, you left Vixen and your life changed. Could you tell us about that post-metal time in your life? Yeah, well, we, we had broken up like in the 90s and then we reformed and then we broke up again. And, you know, at some point I knew I needed some balance in my life and I needed some security. Um, I wanted to have a family, I, you know, I wanted some normal things too. Mm. And I knew in order to do that and be fair to my future family and children, <laughs> you know, I needed something solid. So I went back to school and I kicked ass. I have to say, I'm super proud of myself. I was like, oh man, I don't know if I can do that anymore. God, I might have to do math. That's going <laughs> to suck. This is going to be hard. This is going to suck. And much to my own surprise, I thrived. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I was like, Man, awesome. I should have done this to begin with. Um, so yeah, I graduated and, you know, magna cum laude and got to carry the flag at my graduation. Nice. Wow. Flag. <laughs> so yeah, Fuck it was that. great. I, and then of course I was able to immediately be employed with a skill that pays well so it worked out great i can do that when i need to and if i don't need to then i don't do it yeah and it, 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 and it, it, it does seem you know it since uh, in your post vixen days and certainly as your your work as a dental hygienist um you're, you still have not uh, completely you know dialed back your your passion for music you and your uh, husband justin james have you know put out a, a thing at the beginning uh, back a few years ago, a few albums, and just just released a record too here within the past few months. Yeah. So, so how, how did you guys get to? Well, I wouldn't give us a whole romantic background, but how, how did you guys come together to sort of like form a sort of musical partnership in addition to your your relationship? Yeah. Well, our personal relationship started first. We met backstage at a Vixen show, and he was living in Chicago, I was in Connecticut. So we met, we talked a little bit, and then a year later we saw each other again. And then we started to really, you know, become friends. And we kept like a little friendship going for a while, and then it turned into more. 
and we went to Vegas and got married and everybody was like, what the hell, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and we were kind of actually nervous about working together, so we didn't. We've set up a studio, he would work on his stuff, I would work on stuff for Vixen, and um, we just kind of kept it separate for a while. And then one day he was playing something and I dug it. So I just came in the room, picked up a guitar, started playing some stuff with him, humming a melody, and before you knew it, we had a song. And I think it was really good that it just sort of happened organically like that because we were nervous about it and there was no reason to be, but it could have driven a wedge between us if it didn't work out right or if we didn't have that chemistry it was like oh we failed at making music together oh we're doomed so you know it just sort of happened accidentally and i think that's why it worked out so good because we didn't there was no pressure on either of us we were just like i was like hey i love that riff that you're playing and i'm hearing some stuff let's you know let's work it out and once we started it was like somebody turned the faucet on full. We just constantly work more songs and more songs. And within a couple months, we had an album. So, yeah. Uh, that's, that's the exciting part that I was talking about, Janet, was at the end of the documentary, yes, the, the dental hygienist part is amazing. That's great that you were, that you were able to. Well, because, because I, what I, the reason I was excited for you was because you didn't, you talk about the fantasy world of the, of the rock star, right? You said, and I don't remember exactly how you phrased it in the, in the golf cart shot, but you basically said something about, I was living this fantasy and then that was it. Fantasy had been, had been closed and you needed to reinvent yourself and you did. And to me, that's always exciting when somebody can do that. And then you talked about the music that you were making. So I looked it up afterwards, I'll be honest, I hadn't listened till today. Uh, I've already purchased some of it from Amazon Music because I really think some of it's excellent. Uh, I got, uh, what did I get today? Your Place in the Sun, that song, and I'm Living Free off the new album, which is an excellent, excellent album. So um, to me, that's that's exciting that the music, the stability is there, but the music still exists. And and, and I, I really, and also I think the, the, the presence of, as Michael mentioned it, a lot of the music now is not necessarily based upon gender anymore. There's so many strong bands. You've 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 come to a, a time in in the world where everybody's getting an equal shot to come out and be and be uh, respected. So to yeah. me, I was I was kind of uplifted at the end. I was like, she's got a lot of stuff personally, and what she was always, at least in my opinion, looking for was that equality is there. So to me, it's it's a pretty exciting time. It is. It's really exciting. I just I, I love seeing women who are obviously super empowered and confident and I you know it's so easy to get beat down by skeptical people in the music business and I just love seeing that happen less and less as time goes on there's so many great female artists out there now I I love it who's producing your music that you're making now are you the we producer are. <laughs> we do everything ourselves yeah we're the full on um, Justin does most of the, you know, technical stuff. We, we use Logic, so it's very user-friendly. So I can record my own tracks and do all that. And we kind of try to mix it together, but the technical stuff like mastering, um, Justin does most of that. He has a lot more patience for that. I'm like, I can't listen to this song one more time. I'm out. I'm out. I've lost all objectivity. I'm out. So then, you know, I come back in. It's good though, because then I'll have fresh ears. And, you know, 
I'll usually say it sounds great and Justin will change his mind the next day and the day after <laughs> we have, you know, 50 mixes of one song. It's like, it gets a little crazy because we don't know when to stop. And if we had an outside person, the time clock would be ticking and he'd be like, this is it. This is what I got for you. You're done. So it's good and bad. But yeah, we, we do it all ourselves. Yeah. Now, Janet, it's, it's what, 35 years since the Vixen debut. Songs like Edge of a Broken Heart, Crying, seem to be as popular as ever. It, it's got to feel good to know that your singles are still incredibly popular on the radio, on Sirius XM. How do, how do you feel about that legacy even now as you're writing new music? Well, you know, as the documentary points out, it's been a journey. <laughs> a lot of ups and downs, super highs and super lows. So I think at this point in my life where everything is really kind of well-balanced, it's great. It's great to look back on that and just have really fond memories, no regrets super happy that people still like it they didn't for a while there was a serious backlash where we were you know just the whole genre was a joke so it's nice now that, that people can look back fondly and go god that was fun <laughs> you know we all had so much fun back then and we were young and crazy and rebellious but not in an ugly way in a happy way so I think people kind of appreciate it for what it was at the time. And that's great. And, 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 and again, to, to follow up on Dave's points, like I think people appreciate it perhaps just as much now because you know, in terms of just sense of like, you know, that you're kind of like a founding mother in a way of, of a sort of like music and a genre whose culture is obviously outlasted MTV, outlasted FM radio. Uh, so do, do, you, do you feel like you, you've contributed to like the Lizzie Hales um, and the Gingers and all the other sort of like strong front women um, and female bands that are out there in some small way? Well, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't, that would be kind of presumptuous. But, you know, I definitely think we, we got approached many times by women going, oh, I picked up a guitar because of you, or, you know, I started singing because of you, or I started a female band because of you. And so yeah. that was very satisfying when we hear yeah. that. And yeah. so I would love to think that maybe it empowered a few women to do whatever they wanted to do. You know, Become just- Become a dental hygienist. You can't do whatever you want to do. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think so, but who knows? That's awesome. Yeah, and and, and I, I definitely we, we go to enough shows and we see a lot of really young fans. I mean, we're we're talking like would be like my grandkids, uh, rocking Vixen shirts and stuff, and it's like I don't know where you got that, but uh, probably uh, from from the internet. But uh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, the mu no, music the music is ubiquitous. It's on it's on the radio. Um, you know, and, and thankfully with YouTube, you know, people can still see your your rocking videos. Uh, oh, it's great, it's great too to see them take it. Like Lizzie Hale is like next level. Yeah, I, yeah. Agree. I mean, totally agree. 
it's just wow. <laughs> right. Next level, and that's amazing to yeah. see. But Such but again, it's always it's always on the shoulders of giants. Though they don't get you know you don't get to that level without somebody else building the level below, and that could be big. <laughs> so so Janet, I have a I have a question, and there, there's a lot hanging on this one. No pressure. Uh oh. <laughs> oh, there, there is time, time, time. No. The edge of well, my seat. They're, they're really. I'll explain. I'll explain that the reason I'm saying it that way. So, on our little podcast, we have a theme on our episodes, and we've done power ballad episodes, and we each bring some songs that we consider power ballads, and we we talk about them and 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 uh, critique them and things. And I. I will own this one. I brought <laughs> Edge of a Broken... Now, let me finish, David. I brought <laughs> Edge of a Broken Heart to the Power Ballad episode, and my three friends, my compatriots, my brothers-in-arms, told Ooh. me they loved the song. That was, that was not a debate. However, Colin, it is not a Power Ballad. And so, Janet, as, oh, the, as, the, as the, the voice behind that incredible song, would you vote yes or no that it is a power ballot? I'm so sorry, but no. Oh, <laughs> oh dude. <laughs> we did power ballot. Crying. Crying. Would be sort of, I would consider that, that maybe, but uh, love is a killer. Definite yeah, power ballot. Edge of Broken Heart, not so much. It's kind of a mid-tempo rocker, dude. Well, Janet, it's been fun. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for, you know, including it in whatever you can I... whatever the hell yeah. you want. <laughs> well, it's talking about it. I All right. Well, know. I guess the record, I can't argue it anymore. I guess so uh, it has been established. It's it's fact. So it is written. So it is done. Uh, you so know, glad I can solve that. That's, that's really the, the primary reason we brought you here today. But, you know, Janet, um, thank you so much for sitting with us. The, the, the miniseries, I Want to Rock, the 80s Metal Dream, is now showing on Paramount+. Plus. Three episodes about exploring the world of 80s hair metal and glam featuring Dee Snyder, John Karabi, Snake Sabo, Kip Winger, and our, our guest here, Janet Gardner, directed by Tyler Meeson and produced by MTV Entertainment and Van Toffel with Gunpowder and Sky. Janet and her husband, Justin, are releasing music under the banner Gardner James, and it's fantastic. Um, it's it's already loaded up. I'm going to be on the road tomorrow, and I can't wait to listen uh, to more right. of it. Um, thank you so much for coming. Um, on behalf of Colin Basel, Michael Stamps, The Missing, John Harden, I'm David Timmy. Uh, thank you so much for being here. It's such a, such a pleasure to meet you and to talk about um, your career, your life, and Vixen. My pleasure, you guys. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, 